The Mike Tomano Happening. Welcome to the Mike Tomano Happening. This week, a dear friend of mine, a real brother, and uh, someone that I've known for close to 30 years. Everybody that I'm having on has like a, there's like a 30 year thing. I think like the most, it was heady days. So I think a lot of these people that I talk to, I've known for 30 years or about 30 years since I started radio. And Dave Bella not only is a dear friend, but he's a great musician. I've had the pleasure of playing with him a few times. I've had the pleasure of being kicked out of his band one time. And uh, and he makes great music in the uh, traditional sense of the classic rock we've known and loved, but he takes it to a new level and brings a modern sensibility to it. His latest album is called Thinking Outside the Bur- Think Outside the Burning Box, right? Yes, sir. Think Outside the Burning Box is your, that's your first uh, solo album and uh, rave reviews all over the internet. And also uh, it's available how? I uh, can either corner me at a gig. You could, um, you could go online to at Bandcamp or uh, you could go to Amazon. I think it's on there. It is, uh, you can go to any number of CD stores, you know, Disc we play in Crest Hill, um, Ross of Chicago Records in Kankakee, um, the, the the one store downtown Joliet. The name escapes me. Has it as well? Is it like audiophiles or something? Audiophiles. Audiophiles. Uh, audiophiles. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's locally available, but you can also get it. You could stream it online and buy it on uh, on your digital uh, downloads as well. And it's a great record because it shows your diversity as a singer songwriter. Great guitar player, great singer, and uh, the songs really show all of your influences, having known you and having discussed music for hours with you. I mean, if we counted up all the hours, we just called each other, said hello, how's the kids, how's your wife, boom, right into our favorite Jeff Beck albums or our favorite uh, whatever, Bad Company era. It's, uh, It's funny because all my musician friends, we have a tendency to do that, don't we? Absolutely. I mean, it's our passion. Yeah. You know, it's what just down to the core of our being. It's who and what we are. Yeah. You know, I mean, to me and to yourself and others, it's like blood, air, (laughs) you know, water. Essential. It's it's, it's essential sustenance. I always tell my I always tell my wife that music is food for my brain and soul. That's that's what it's food. We consume it, and uh, boy, you and I both have. Record collections that album collections that are it's it's bordering on obscene how many records and CDs you and I both have collectively we, we could probably open up Amoeba uh, on the Chicago side of things oh easily you know it's funny I go to some CD stores go buy other stuff I'm like crap I got more than they do <laughs> oh yeah oh all the time I was in a store the other day and uh, I walked in it was in Grand Rapids CD exchange and I'm like this looks like my room. It's it's crazy the how the amount of uh, music that we consume. I did. I want to turn you on before we get into your career and in your creativity and also some fun stories you and I want to share about our uh, lives together professionally. Um, have you been to a place called Vertigo in Grand Rapids? Oh, the old building downtown. Yeah, it's like across from. I don't know if it's a methadone clinic or something. It's really. It's a it's a it's an odd part of town, and it's not exactly the posh area of Grand Rapids, 
But man, that guy's got an amazing selection. And I dropped like a hundy, not even thinking about it. I had like, oh, I got to get this one. Oh, I don't have that. Ooh, I want to hear this band. Oh, this is their, they got got a new album out. I I didn't know that, you know, you were going um, over to Grand Rapids. I knew you were in Michigan. But there was another store that I found, believe it or not, I had to go into Michigan for... 40 years, or however long I've been going, 50 years, uh, it's over there in Rockford, Michigan, and it's a really nice store. I, I'll, t- I'll turn you on to that one. I think you'll like that one as well, but Vertigo was really cool. Like you said, downtown, homeless people everywhere. Oh, it's really crazy, yeah. That road, Mike? What's that? There's a road right in front of Vertigo. Are they still working on that road? No, the, 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 the construction was open, but here's the thing. There's one guy that walks around and gives parking tickets to everybody because you got to feed the meter. And there was a guy parked over the line of two spots. And so I pulled in in front of him and I figured, well, then I must be behind this number post. Told my wife to pay for that. I come out, I got a $30 ticket on my, but I'm going to write them a letter and follow it up with a phone call that here's my receipt. And you could see at the time that the ticket was written I was parked in this particular spot and I just happened to put the wrong number. So they're going to have to, they're going to have to send a warrant out to, to get me to pay this, but you know, that's a new car, man, up in Grand Rapids. Yeah. 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 I just have to, next time I go through Grand Rapids, I'll have to step on the gas because they'll be looking for me. But uh, (laughs) yeah, I do love Michigan, especially this time of year. And I have a place and I know you have a place uh, there in different areas, but uh, just gorgeous. And and there's so much good in Michigan, but it's one of those states that also has a lot of weirdness in politics. They drive me crazy. And so I don't think I'd ever retire there. But um, but yeah, so I wanted to turn you on to Vertigo. I knew you probably knew about it. And it's weird because I put in my GPS wherever our destination is every couple hours say, uh, detour record store near me, and you just got to check them all out across America. Uh, it, it, but that's half the fun, you know. I mean, yeah, you know, we could take the easy way out. We yeah. could go online and look and find something, and go. It's kind of deflating, but there's nothing like the rush of going into a CD store or album store and finding that nugget that you've mm-hmm. been searching for. I mean, you get giddy. You well, know what I, I mean? I found way too many uh, nuggets. I found. An original copy of uh, Merciful Fates, Melissa. And I was like, I have to get this. And then I said, well, a couple for the road trip. Uh, Let me get, I like Morrissey a lot. You know, I like his solo albums a lot. So I I had a couple that I didn't have. And I was like, I'm going to grab this for the car ride. And oh, Queens of the Stone Age. I don't, you know what? I had this one. Maybe I still have it. I'm still going to get it for the ride. It's only $3.99. And then... I start getting into the new releases and I start piling them up and, you know, I get to the, to the register and she's like, okay, that's 110, 98. I'm like, what did I just, <laughs> and you can't go back and put them back. You gotta, you gotta be true to your, to the cause. And I was like, oh man, I just spent all this money, but I got some great music to listen to. So what have you been uh, listening to lately? I uh, see. What have I bought? I've- well, yesterday went up to. Have you ever been a, a Tom Lounge's store? I haven't. Uh, Tom is a, uh, a local radio guy in Indiana, and he also does. Uh, he used to write for a for a, a like a Nightbot yeah, News or yeah, some magazine that was like the Illinois Entertainer. It shows you know bands that are coming through town and stuff. I haven't been to Tom's spot. Maybe I have been. I don't know. I I, I don't even know anymore the record stores I go to. 
the theater, the theater downtown Hobart is next to that. Okay. And he has a store that he just opened in Michigan City, too. I haven't been to that store yet. But there's that one, and there's that DNS or JNR Records over there in Griffith. Yeah, we could do a whole show one day on okay. great record stores that we've visited. There's a bunch in St. Louis that I always frequent that I just love. And uh, there's some great ones in the Chicagoland area and suburbs, just amazing record stores. Oh, yeah. But you and I are long overdue for a crate dig. We haven't done one together in uh, quite some time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Always good fun to get the two bloods together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So now, <laughs> so let's talk about the album. The album's out now. It's been out for a while, and uh, it's called Think Outside the Burning Box. And it's yep. basically uh, a collection of songs that you wrote during what period? Yeah, some songs I had for quite a while, and other ones I wrote within, I say, six months of the CD. But so, you know, it's kind of like I kind of do things a little bass backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people will sit there and write the words, come up with a melody, and then you know, then create the music around it. And and even though I have pages and pages and booklets of lyrics, I what I do is I kind of sit around playing my guitar and come up with the ideas and then I record them on my phone and then I try to flush them out from there. Then I try to come up with some words that are going to fit the theme of the music that I'm creating. Yeah, it's a puzzle. And I know when I write songs, sometimes it's a riff and I put it on my phone and then I transfer that to a file and I have like a catalog of riffs. Sometimes it's a chord progression. Sometimes it's a melody line that I hum and or sing a line to. And I think it's the best thing about writing songs is that there are a million different ways to do it. And so whenever the muse hits you, just take it wherever it's at. If it's on an instrument, write it. If it's a lyrical piece that you want to write, write it. Just get it somewhere. And then, like you said, you start piecing these things together. Yeah. You know, in some some songs, for example, you know, like um, uh, Deceit. Uh, I, I actually wrote that when I was in Red DB, and we performed it out live a couple of times. And uh, we had a you know, really good, really, uh, and myself playing guitar, another guy, a really good guy named Chris Gross, he played a guitar on that when we did it with Red DB. But then when we, when I got to do it on the CD, there's little things that I wanted to change, and I you know did all the guitar work on the CD, and I wanted to kind of create more of a dramatic piece with it. And uh, that's why if, if you listen, there's like these kind of ominous keyboards in there as well. And uh, just different things in order to kind of create what, what the words were about. That one, I definitely had a very decided idea what I wanted the words and everything to be about. Yeah. You know, stuff. yeah. And there's you a know. lot of diverse stuff in there. There's some, there's some acoustic uh, mellow stuff. There's some rockers, heart and chains, uh, say what you got to say. There's a lot of different diverse stuff, but you're, your when I hear you your original stuff, I always think of and maybe it's your vocal delivery or it's your guitar playing, but I think of uh I feel a lot of uh bad company, a lot of thin Lizzie in there, a lot of uh you know, rocking stuff, but it's got a lot of uh attention to melody. Well, thank you. Well, you know, I'm, I, you know, like us, we grew up in an era of great classic rock, and uh, I have a you know, brother and sister, five and six years older than me, who introduced me to a lot of music when in my infancy, you know, my growing up years, I should say, and um, and so that definitely comes out in the CD. I, you know, much as I appreciate a lot of different, you know, heavier things or the, or whatever, 
you know, I got to be true to what my voice can do. I mean, I, I'm not going to go doing a Metallica tune, even though I, I can play it. But for me to sing it, I think I would sound kind of false. Yeah. Or in, well, you, you know, know just, there's a yeah. quote from Dirty Harry that's been brought up on this program a number of times, most recently by Ted Nugent, that a wise man knows his limitations. I say that one often. Yeah. <laughs> I, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, so like on this, and plus, as you know, I also have been doing acoustic gigs for, for decades. And so for me to deny that acoustic end of it, which is what you'll have in, say, uh, Daughter's Dance or where you'll, you'll have like in uh, Lonely Night and Lonely Days or things like that, where you have the acoustic elements involved, that's there. But then again, I've always been a big uh, aficionado of slide playing you know, with the fog hat. I'm a huge fog hat fan. And, um, <clears throat> and you know, just... Uh, Play, you know, I had to get my slide playing out, so that's just another avenue. But um, but yeah, I definitely hear. If, if when I describe the CDs to people, Mike, I try to say, imagine if Paul Rogers, a singer of Bad Company, joined the Eagles and had Ted Nugent on guitar. Yeah, 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 yeah. And your guitar solos are just scorching on this album. And I wanted to ask you about a couple of the songs. Um, well, the the running list, there's 10 songs on there. And uh, let's talk about Madam Soul. No, uh, the, I think it's the, it's not the last, it's the second to last song, if I remember correctly, off the album. The third to last song, that's okay. Yeah, okay. Kate. Oh, yeah, yeah, because then you had the little, the, the daughter's dance in there. And then, then you get into another song I want to talk to you about. But Madam Soul, tell me a little bit about that song. Well, it's kind of like if someone just, Listen to it initially. Probably think it's just like some evil person, evil woman who's taking your soul. But what I really wanted to emulate with this one is the kind of double entendre. Is that it's um it seems on the surface it's about a a woman who basically promises you the world, and in exchange you got to give up your soul. <laughs> right. You know, but. What it really is about is essentially the world and how many people sacrifice and give up, you know, their humanity. Yeah, I kind of felt it was about the music business a little bit. Not, not as much about that, as, but but kind of about that as well, though. It's in a sense, it is kind of about that, but it's about a lot of other things. Yeah, it's you know, a, people, gr- a bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, people sacrifice their soul for for their music. You know, they sacrifice their soul if they become really successful, and uh, you know, in whatever whatever career you pick, and they sacrifice their soul for it. You know, mm-hmm. and they lose their humanity over it. And so, to me, it's just kind of like, hey, basically, watch out. This is out there. You can be promised the world, but you're gonna lose your soul for it. Right. Right. Do you really want that? Yeah. You know. Yeah, you know, basically what the song is about, really. And and then Pictures of the Past wraps up the album. So you start with Heart and Chains, which is a grabber, and then uh, Pictures of the Past is kind of a, a, it's a bit of an epic on the album. Yeah, I, um, I, I didn't really mean for it to be so long, but it kind of ended up that way. Um, that's what I've had I, had I had for a while, but through a little bit of changes in the studio. But um, I wanted to end it off kind of like this real ripping guitar solo and stuff at the end, because it's kind of a... A mood piece. It starts off slow. Yeah, yeah. And I think some people, if if they're not patient, you know, don't give it the song the time of day. They think, oh God, it's gonna be five minutes of this, you know, bore, you know, uh, kind of a thing like this. And it's not their way. Each layer builds up and builds up until yeah, at the right. end. It, you know, um, I I kind of a rough template on that was uh, 
Black Crow's thorn in my pride, in a sense. You know, um, starts off slow, you know, and then kind of builds up and builds up until at the end he's kind of ripping through everything. So, but yeah. Well, let's, you know, and you also, um, outside of, you know, you're playing a few bands, um, you also, uh, you've sang on gospel albums, you've sang background for uh, other people's albums, and talk about some of the stuff, some of the extracurricular stuff you've done. Oh, God. Um, well, let's see. I've sang on my Aunt Jackie's gospel album, did, did stuff on that, which was, she was a big ad person on the cat back in the day. <laughs> yeah, the cat, the cat was the radio station that Dave and I worked at together. That's when I first met you. We're going to get into that, too. Boy, are we going to get into that. But uh, Jackie... You know, I've, I've done, I, my, my good friend Mitch Alvarez, I've played a lot of guitar and, and vocals on his CD. I've um, done, you know, as far as live performances, I've... I performed at Sammy Hagar's club, Cabo Wabo and Cabo San Lucas, uh, you know, performed with his, his, uh, band down there, uh, which was a great honor to do. Yeah. Miss Sammy by five minutes. I was very upset. Um, <laughs> you opened for Sammy with his band. That's great. What were they like? His to play band, but Sammy left like five minutes before I got there. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's like we saw him and then we took a, it, yeah, so now I'm so upset about it. You know, it's like, oh crap! You know, would have been, would have been, would have been like, you know, I can die now. You yeah, know? you love Sammy Hagar, man. That's your, that's one of your you guys. Know? Yeah, exactly. You know, so, but um, you know, I've I've performed at church. I performed uh, sitting in with people. Uh, you know, just um, you know, whether it be acoustically or electrically, I've been in umpteen billion bands, like a lot of people. I, you performed on a Kankakee. A lot, yeah. You know, back when I had like say rock this way together. Well, remember, so remember, there, this is a Moody. podcast, so people in Australia have to know these references. So, K- all right, well, Kankakee is where the radio station I work at is now. So that's why Dave's making that uh, reference. So, okay, yeah, it's just different. It's not radio. It's, just, it's weird because you know there's people listening in London and Australia that are going to be like, "Where's Kankakee, mate?" You know. <laughs> but call the tennis yeah <laughs> so when did you when did you start so give us bring us up to speed on your your background where were you born at i'm born and raised in new lenox illinois where i still live new lenox illinois which is a beautiful suburb uh south of chicago used to be much more and i remember you and i used to lament the uh the build, the bulldozer frenzy that went on uh, in the 90s as they built up so much of it. But it was such a plush, uh, forested area, and now it's kind of, it's a bit uh, it's a bit built up, you know? And it, that was a heartbreak. I remember you and I discussing that. Yeah, it, it, for me, it's very heartbreaking. You know, growing up, there's, there's 1,400 people here, and my uncle was one of three police policemen on the force. Yeah. That was it. Three. Yeah, it's blowing up. You know what up. I mean? Now there's like 50. Yeah, thousands so it's kind of, of weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and then there's just a lot of people moving here from other areas and stuff like that. I mean, you know, I like people as much as anybody, but it's just kind of like when you're so used to being living in a small town, then all of a sudden it grows to 30,000 people. It's kind of disarming and letting lets you down, you know, yeah. in a lot of ways, and, you know. Well, half of my life was lived on the south side of Chicago, where you had gangways that separated your your house from the next person. And, uh, you know, I had a professional life in downtown Chicago, and now I live in a town of 200, or 400, I'm sorry, 
on a on a farmstead, and it's it it really is where I'm comfortable at at this point in my life is uh, is the quiet, the solitude, and I still love getting to Chicago. I still love New York City. I still love visiting big cities, but I look at big cities now for me. In uh, the sensibilities that I have, uh, raising a family and being able to breathe and walk through the woods and uh, spend time by the water, it's kind of like uh, like a niece or a nephew baby. When they start crying, you can hand it back to mama. And that's how I feel about visiting New York or L.A. or Chicago. I love it when I'm there, but once it starts weighing on me, it's okay, I'm going to leave. Leave it to you guys to handle it. I, I can understand. I, I go. I go to the city to achieve a goal. I go to CD stores. You know, it always goes back to that. Or go to concerts. But besides that, I'm not a city person in the least. I, I'm very laid back. I like the small town atmosphere. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I like to get home. I, I like to get home and be greeted by wildlife in my driveway. There's something very cathartic about that and beautiful. So you you grew up in New Lenox, and when did you start singing and playing guitar? When did well, first of all, when did the music bug hit you? Because you come from a, mu- a family of music fans. Well, yeah. I, well, for me, I initially started off as a John Denver freak in the height of uh, Kiss Mania, which went over really well. Um, so you know, so I. <laughs> So while all the kids were listening to Kiss, you were listening to John Denver. Yeah, I was a true freak of nature. What can I say, you know? That's funny. I mean, I had to have the glasses like John Denver. I searched out the coat like John Denver. You know, wanted to have Olivia Newton-John riding a horse in my special. Yeah, why not? You know, like I do those things, you know, for a young fantasy. Now, so. wait a second. So, you, so you, uh, you, you had, so you're in grammar school and you're wearing John Denver specs, right? Oh yeah, yeah, sixth grade. Oh yeah, all over it. So funny. Oh my God, is that funny? So then you, uh, you discovered some albums in your brother's collection, and that led you down a different path. Oh yeah, I, I, uh, we shared a bedroom, and so one day I. Went in the room, and I don't know what made me do this, but he had a fog hat, fog hat, and fool for the city. You know, one where he's fishing out of the manhole cover, which is an yes. amazing cover. So so I popped those things on because I was like with this sneer kind of, you know, what is this stuff all about? I popped it on, and it's like, you know, the angelic choir came out and, ah, That was and, it. You know, you know, I just want to make love <laughs> to you. And me popped on, I'm like, Oh my God, this is amazing. So, so then I was just like, uh, on it. Rocky Mountain but, High didn't get as many spins, is what you're saying. Didn't get quite quite the, uh, the turntable uh, space. Like you're, you're, you were trying to learn terraplane blues. So now, when you when you discovered that, you had always been singing, right? You always were a singer. Oh yeah, I've been singing my whole life, ever since really quite young, singing, yeah. And then when did you, when did you uh, when did you discover the guitar? Uh, I was 14 years old, and uh, actually I tried playing it previously. My dad my dad was always a strummer, you know Johnny Cash kind of thing. Yeah, you know? singer on the campfire. Yeah. And but um but I was out of my aunt's house in Colorado, and they had this guitar lying around. And you know, I mean, when you're 14, you're trying to find out who and what you are, what's your image, or what how can you be a semblance of cool? Yeah. So I car lying around in my aunt's house. I just picked it up and looked in the mirror and said, I got to do this. So I talked to my dad and said, hey, dad, I want, I want this guitar. I want to play. Then he went to the, my cousin's friend and bought it from him, uh, Green Burst Harmony Semi-Hollow for $25. 
you know, so I bought that, and we were in a motorhome, and on the whole trip back in the motorhome, I was in the back of this motorhome with people were driving by me playing this guitar, attempting to, on the way back from Colorado, back to Illinois. And that was it. Because I'll tell you, over the years, as you've developed as a musician, I've noticed playing with you and going to see you play and just knowing you for so many years that... You have a very diverse uh, approach to playing guitar. While you're known primarily in the area as a rock singer and a rock guitar player, and you do some scorching solos on your album. Um, Thank you. And every time you come on to my bandstand, whenever we invite you out and you uh, you and I jam some Ted Nugent or Free All Right Now or Bad Company tunes, uh, you're dynamic performer. So I want to go through the different stages of uh, you, you've learned so. And, and the nice thing about diversity, and you and I have had this discussion before, is if you want a creative life, if you want a, uh, an artistic life to be your profession, you've yeah. got to diversify. And that's why I tell my drum students, you know, you may not like when I play samba music, and this might not be in your wheelhouse, or when we're learning the swing pattern on the ride symbol and we're listening to Benny Goodman records. Now that might not be your thing, but if you really want to be a drummer, you've got to be at least versed in these different styles. And, and, and then I think as you mature, you get more of a, uh, an appreciation of different styles of music and such. But I mean, young kids, it's hard to get them out of their uh, safety zone as far as what they like and what they, uh, what they're adverse to. I think also, you know, they're hanging around their friends and their first friends. Oh, I like Kiss. Oh, but what are you playing this, like, Samba stuff for, dude? What are you? <laughs> samba. Yeah, I don't even think kids listen to Kiss these days. It's it's crazy. And can it's I just crazy, say you something? Know, okay, you know, Pearl Jam or, yeah. you know. Who knows? I, I, I don't even know the bands they bring in. Although, uh, some of my students bring in death metal and extreme speed metal and stuff. And I dig that stuff because at least it's got heart and soul and it's not cookie cutter crap. It's got some, uh, pl- the players are insane. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. they're just crazy with that tremolo picking and, and uh, s- just amazing stuff out there. But like any genre, there's garbage as well. And speaking of yeah. kiss, you know, I've, I was part of the kiss army when I was a nine year old kid, everybody loved kiss. But uh, right. I, I go back and forth and I get nostalgic and listen to some Kiss albums. But my two favorite Kiss albums, I think, are the most hated by Kiss fans and the band, Carnival of Souls and the Music from the Elder album. I like both of those records. I love Carnival of Souls. And in fact, it didn't get really a massive release. It's a shame because there was just some really great tracks on that album, yeah. you know. Really. And uh, and even, like I said, Music from Elder, you know, I... It was a great song. I believe yeah, in me. Yeah, good I mean, stuff. You know, great stuff, you know. And uh, I just, you know, I don't know. I thought you were going to say unmasked. And if I was, gonna, if you said unmasked, I'm sorry. I may have to disown you as a Wait, friend. there's a there's a pop. What's the one with the cartoon cover? Yes, that's one where they all take off the mask. I like um, that record. That's got good power pop on it. Okay. Let's move on to the next. <laughs> all right, I got. Well, first of all, so so all right, we're gonna get into. So, you, but you you can play slide guitar, you can play country guitar. You're versed in all styles, and I think that's helped you fit in and and stay busy as a musician. Maybe when you're in between bands, or you're working on some of your own stuff, and you want to do some side gigs, it's nice to have the the ability for a country artist to call you 
or in your case as a vocalist, a gospel artist to call you, whatever. And that diversification of your skill set, I think, is essential. And I want to drive that home to people. Well, well thanks. You know, it's, but to me, it's how else do you develop your style then put all these things to a blender and it comes out synthesizes you. I mean, to me, if, if all you listen to is ACDC, then why are you shocked when you sound like Angus Young? If all you listen to is uh, Black Sabbath, then why are you so- shocked when everything you play sounds like Black Sabbath when you try and create original music? I mean, you need a variety of stuff to put into a blender and it comes out. Now, sometimes the ingredients are a little wacky, <laughs> yeah. you know, but... But that's when I think the maturity comes in and goes, well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to throw in maybe this into that song. Now is when I pull from this pool, you know. Right. That's what I think. But. And, like, you know, I know that as a drummer, I fit into certain situations better than others. And I think even as I continue learning as a musician, um, you, you know, you and I have often quoted the great, and he's been quoted by other people on this program as well. The great philosopher, dirty Harry Callahan, who said a wise man knows his limitations. And uh, so there's, there's places where I feel more at home, but I've been called for all kinds of studio work, you know, from jazz to commercial jingles to uh, punk rock. And you, you, you have to have that in your bag and know yes. not only know the chops that go with it, but have an appreciation for it, so you can get in that mindset. So yeah, well, I guess you could be sincere in what you're approaching. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. what, that's what, whenever I do a uh, a session, I have to hear the music and I have to feel that it's real and it's true, and that the person's got something that I can at least have resonate in me. You know, and and that it feels real, and that they're not kind of because the worst thing is a hack. You know, I've tried many different things. I've I've sold screenplays, I've acted, and but I've given it all I had, and I learned I learned the techniques that are involved. Because if you don't, you know, you come across as a as a wannabe. And when I watch you perform, so three three stages of Dave Bella. I've seen, I've seen you, well, three levels, I should say, um, a dynamic performer, because I don't, I've seen you play in front of crowds of 10, you know, when it's closing time. And I've seen you in front of crowds of thousands and it's the same thing. It's the same level of intensity. That's another thing that people have to learn. You know, the gig occurs on the stage, you know, and you feed off the audience, whether it's a small audience or whether it's a huge audience. And I, I want to commend you on that because I've seen you just belt it out every time, you know. Well, to me, I don't believe in, I don't, I, I don't like how you say, but insincere or false. I mean, it shouldn't matter if there's one person there or a thousand or a million. You know, I, I'm sure you can see this. I've played in front of audiences of 10, 15 people that are getting into it and giving you that energy. Yeah, providing it. exactly. And I, of hundreds or thousands and they suck because they sit there and they just don't get into it. Are you working so hard to try and get them into it? It's like self deflating. So I think that's actually a more draining yeah. show. Yeah. To play oh, yeah. Always, I'm not enjoying it. Then you just, you're playing in front of people really getting into it. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. like case in point, I, with with Shock the System, the band I, I sing for now, um, we played in, uh, at the Quarry in Lamont you know, about three weeks ago, and there was about 40 people 
there. But they were going nuts. You're staying on a table and having a good time, and that was awesome. Then when we did the show quite recently um, at another venue, there was probably a couple hundred there easily. And then I kind of looking out at the audience, and like a majority of them were watching TV or mm. were doing anything but paying attention to us. So I almost, for me, this is where my intensity gets me into trouble. I start getting pissed off. Oh, I've been, I've been behind the drums when you've done that. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so I start getting mad. And so like, I'll, you know, either I'll start asking them basically what is their problem and put it in not nice. <laughs> or, or I'll jump on their table or I'll, uh, you know, you know, point them out from the stage and go, Hey, you, yeah, you, you, honey, with, yeah, with the chick. What is your problem? Yeah, put Seriously. your chicken wings down and pay attention to the music. Yeah, yeah. Killing ourselves here. Come on. Yeah, but well, I, I you know, that's the I'm, thing. That's the thing with stand-up out. comedy, man. Stand-up comedy that I've done many times. Uh, it's a treacherous beast, and it's the hardest performance because even let's say you got a shit audience and your band is smoking and they're hot, you can still wrap yourself in that expression. Okay. With stand-up comedy, it's reliant on a feedback, which is gaining laughter. <laughs> so even if you're delivering the jokes, and I've had the same jokes in front of a crowd, kill them, you know, just kill. And the next night, go to a different bar or a different club in a different town, and it's crickets. And it's it's you're like, what kind of strange dynamic is this? And I think it has to do... There's got to be a crowd dynamic. There's got to be a collective energy that is shared. And I think once you tap into that, those are the those are the the golden moments, you know, that we have. Oh yeah, for sure, yeah. you know. It's always a weird thing. Like you said, you can deliver the same solo, the same vocal performance and and, and you know, and it's also a matter of what song it is. Yeah. I I you know, for example, doing the unplugged thing, I could do a freaking Ingve song, <laughs> you know, and people are like, yeah, okay. Then you do freaking John Mellencamp, which is three chord, jink chonk, nothing song. And people are all like, hey, that's great. Blah, sure. Blah. Sure. Well, and it depends just, on the audience. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, you know, and, you know, don't know, it, it's, it's a weird world. What do you say? You know, I want people to look up Dave Bella, B-E-L-L-A-H. And uh, Think Outside the Burning Box is his latest release. Don't leave your heart in chains. Let's go through the uh, songs here because there's a diverse bunch here. There's some, uh, there's some mellow tunes that have a country tinge. There's some hard rockers. There's some stuff that borders on progressive and I want to talk about each song and just kind of give us a synopsis of where the song came from and what it's what it uh, what it entailed to record. Heart and Chains is the uh, the cranker, the kicker offer. Uh, Heart and Chains, that, that's a funny song. So I wrote that as a joke. I was like sitting in my kitchen, and I remember this, and I'm like, you know, what? See, let me see how easy of a song I can write. So I wrote that song literally the amount of time that the song is performed. Four minutes. I wrote the whole thing. Nice. Done. It's it's funny. So then when I got in the studio, I um, you know, we're, we're, you know, we put, perform song. Everything is done. Then I um, I say, hey, why don't we take the chorus and put it up front? You know, that that's why he just starts off. 
Don't leave your heart in chains. Like that, right off the bat with a full choir and everything there. And, um, and I thought that was a great way just to, you know, hear you pop on the CD and bam, you're hit right like a bullet in the forehead. Right. Right. Yeah. Say what you got to say, the follow-up. Um, that was a song that I wrote. It basically, it's about, is, uh, no offense women, a lot of guys can relate to, is you know, you know that something is on your woman's mind. You did something, they experienced something, <laughs> you know, they're not saying it. They're just saying it, and you're like, okay, honey, what's the problem? Nothing. Nothing, nothing. yes. So so that song is basically is about that. that that's, a, that's a blues rocker that, um, that I really enjoy playing a great deal. And uh, what I wanted to do initially is, if you listen to the song, the lyrics are basically the guy, you know, saying to the woman, okay, here, here you have this stuff, right? And then at, and at the end, what I wanted to do is the last half the song over the solo, I want to have like a big mama Thornton kind of woman come on and sing that whole last section. Basically, she's saying, you want to know what I want to say? You ask for it, here you go, and get blasted by this big mama Thornton kind of voice. But I didn't end up doing that, so I did it. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, you know, Etta James wasn't available, you know, sadly. She wasn't available. I asked. Running out of love. Running out of love. Running out of love is... It kind of like, uh, I know we've talked about this before. If anyone has to say, Dave, what is your CD like? I would say that song is one of the ones, if I had to say, encompasses what I am. It's as if Paul Rogers, a bad company, joined the Eagles and Ted Nugent on guitar. There you go. And That's how I just. Yeah. And it, it, you know, yeah. And, and it, Starts off, you know, nice capoed second fret. You go through the, you know, go through the song. Then you have a lot of slide coming in there, you know, like the Eagles would do with Joe Walsh. And then later on, you have this ripping solo come in, and we just kind of crank the whole thing into another gear and just blasting away. So yeah, but it's it's a fun song, and essentially the song is about um, a guy. He's reflecting, saying, you know. He's thinking that he he's thinking he's falling out of love with his girlfriend, fiance, wife, whatever. And at first he's blaming her. Then he's uh, then he's thinking he's blaming both of us. Then at the end he goes, "Nah, it's me." Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I ran out of love and I've moved on, and that's what the whole song's about. Let's talk about deceit, which is the fourth track on the album. It's "Think Outside the Burning Box" by Dave Bella. Okay, deceit is kind of like if I took. Um, a, a 90s drop D song and it kind of put in a little bit of a couple of weird chord changes, kind of a STP-ish in a way. Um, and that one is, is pretty heavy rocker. And I, uh, that one is about an experience uh, a friend of mine went through uh, in their marriage and found out the person that they were married to basically has been a big lie and uh, and then they're realizing what a lie it's been this entire time. Hmm. Yeah. Let's have you, Judy. By the way, I want to go back to say what you got to say. Now, I couldn't imagine your lovely wife, Julie, ever having that mood going. Where she says, oh, God, no. where you say, how's everything? What's wrong, honey? And she says, nothing. <laughs> oh, no. Julie will tell you in spades. I yeah. know. I don't, my wife doesn't hold back either. So that I think that's why we love them. Uh, lonely nights, lonely days. That is autobiographical. That's about me and my wife. Because when I'm first time I ever met my wife, I was actually engaged to somebody else. And uh, she was working at a bank. Julie was. 
And um, I came in there with my Friday paycheck and went up to this different woman in the teller window and cashed my check, made my deposits. And afterwards, I guess Julie ran down there and said, who's that guy? He's cute and all that stuff. And the lady says, and I quote, you want nothing to do with him. He's a musician. He has no money. Oh, that lady was smart. She's smart. I told you, you sucker. You should listen. So, so, but that's what the whole song is about. And basically, it's kind of like you know about our story and how I found this amazing woman who's who's the most incredible blessing in my life. Yeah, and uh, biggest fan. You know, of, of me, always pushing me to, to go forward. And uh, the only person I know who doesn't say, why are you buying another guitar? She's like, I like that one. Buy that one, too. Oh, so bless great... her heart. She's an angel from heaven. Yeah, you know, absolutely. and I got you Trump, though. You were engaged to someone else when you met your wife. Uh, yeah. I was married to someone else when my wife was pregnant. So those were, uh, you want to talk about lonely nights, lonely days. I was, I was banging my head through a wall. That was fun. Well, I was going through a divorce. Let us make that uh, perfectly clear, you know. Yes. I was with you there, Pookie. Yeah. And so was Wild Turkey. Now, do you want to? Let's talk about that one. Uh, I I thought that I always liked this one. This is a fun, typical story of a guy seeing a woman that's kind of like the unattainable ideal. You Uh know, you see this hallowed. And that, you know, you don't stand a single chance in hell with this person. But then, you know, you just if you'd say the right things, then it's going to turn her her head towards you. Yeah. Long is about is just about this guy's unattainable idea. And at the end, he had evidently said the right thing. And she says, hey, let's go. So that's what that is. Again, a great blues rocker. Uh, that one is one song, the only song I played bass on. Everything else was done by a guy named Gordy, great bass player, yeah. killer bass. And uh, that's the only one, because I wrote that song on bass initially, and then with that riff, which is really strong, and then so that I built everything up around that. It has tons of slide. If you're a slide lover, you will love this song. Excellent. And then there's I Found Out, which can which, which is next. That what I always thought is if you combine the end, I love her, and... Um, Oh, God, I forgot what other song I, I thought. But uh, it's kind of like a combination. It's like, you know, a samba beat? That's kind of, if you listen to it, it has that... Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and, and so so then um, uh, pretty much all of it uh, has this jazz guitar solo on it. Um, you know, regular, it's, it's Carlos Santana solo in it. And I found out uh, is essentially a person who's successful, but they found out the success is kind of what did them under. They lost everything because of the success. Yeah. And then there's, uh, we, we talked about this um, before, Madam Soul, which is a, it's a song that can be taken a number of different ways. And it's, uh, it's basically about uh, giving up who you are uh, to become something that you want to be or, or, or what you are rather than uh, what's inside of you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, losing everything for your dream as opposed to, you're getting, you know, if you want to say giving it up to the devil to say, hey, uh, the typical Robert Johnson thing, you sold your soul to that. But it's more of a world view, bigger thing, you know, whether it be money, fame, success, uh, whatever the case may be. It's about giving up everything you are for the success, but it has a price. Yeah. 
Well, and it's probably the hardest rocking song on here. I've had people and where do you that. where do you make a deal with the devil? Because I, you know, I, there's been times in my career when I was like, well, all right, I, I'll at least at least let me see what the deal entails. Let me let me take a look at it. But no, I, he's hard to find. He doesn't keep offices in Chicago. Well, he may keep political <laughs> offices in Chicago, but I don't think it's uh, it's not a record company. Uh, I, I think he's next to insert governor of Illinois here. <laughs> Uh, he'd be Beelzebubba. Dude, as we know, the only state on the planet where if you should go to prison first before running for office, you just get it out of the way. Get out of your system. Daughter's Dance, short and sweet. basically a little over a minute acoustic instrumental that I was very inspired by uh, Rick Emmett of Triumph because he always put an instrumental, acoustic instrumental on every single album he did. And that just really inspired me. And I want to do that on my next CD and every CD subsequent. I just love those little things that take you out of the, the norm. And so that's why I wrote that. And essentially, I, 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 pref- I wrote it. Then I was like, kind of watching my kids kind of dance around and all that. I thought that'd be a good name for his daughter's dance. So that I wrote yeah. this title on there. And then uh, you wrap up with these slow burn epic pictures of the past on this album. Think outside the burning box from Dave Bella. That one essentially is uh, my Black Crows uh, Thorn in My Pride song, where it starts off slow and smoldering, and then just it slowly picks up pace and picks up pace. And by the time you're done, you're just doing this barn burner solo at the end you know and uh that song is essentially about another person i know uh they were in a relationship with a person who had a child that person you know they're in a long-term relationship that that person who had the child took off and here you love this child and then you no longer like how do you just let me love the child you just leave with the kid you know and so that that's that's what happened and so um so that's what that one's really about. So looking back, reflecting on pictures, because pictures generally everyone sees smiles, but you don't know that those smiles are going to last. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a great album, man. It's a great album. And, uh, you know, one of the things, you know, you and I have been a mutual support group for each other. And I think, you know, people need that. You need feedback from people you respect when you're playing out, uh, whether it be music or if you're writing an article or if you're painting a picture, people are going to say, Hey man, that's really nice. That's really good what you did. But it's people who are artists. When you get artistic feedback, it really inspires you and, and, and pushes you forward. And, uh, and you've done that over the years for me. And I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thank you. As, as have you for me. It's just it's like you're saying, you, you appreciate it from hearing it from people who are not musicians. You like yeah. that. You really do. But when you get it from somebody who is I don't, a fellow musician, that they can listen to it from a set of ears that you, you just know you got a real level of appreciation. You know, someone who knows. I mean, no different than if you're a painter and another painter compliments you. You know that they know what you went through in order to get 
to that level. Yeah, and it's a different level of appreciation. It's not a better one. It's just a different, and it's good to get feedback from people. And um, and you're one of the people that I go to and say, hey, take a look at my shit. What do you think? And and it helps. Now, when did you and I first meet? Because I, I, you came to work. We were at a legendary rock station in a cinder block building in the middle of a cornfield. Uh, in a small, uh, this is when my career had just begun. Um, I had done a couple of things in Chicago, satellite stuff. And then I got a call from Marielle, who was a tremendous programmer. She's retired from radio. But at the time, we put together this station. It was run by two people that bought a radio station, had no idea what radio was about. And then you, you, (laughs) two of the strangest cats I've ever met. And they would just let us program the radio station. And so we ended up playing whatever we wanted 24 seven and gaining this cult audience. And then Julie, the girl I did mornings with for a while, she had told you, why don't you come sell for this radio station? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, it was, um, and at the time I was unemployed and I've always sold ever since I got out of college, I've been in sales, whether I sold fax machines or, uh, yeah, too many things. I mean, uh, I didn't want to get into all uh, all that insanity. But um, so so that she asked me to come down here, and I met her initially when I worked for for her on the side, yeah, uh, carting and putting music on the carts, which are like eight tracks. Right, you know that. Yeah, well, yeah, of course I know that. But for the audience, yeah, the, the they were on a they were on a tape loop cartridge that you would put in in they would uh, play and then they would recue themselves. But they yeah they looked like yeah. little eight tracks yeah. So, so, so I got into that, you know, recruiting a lot of stuff off my collection for the station. And, uh, and occasionally she would have me on the air and then do a, doing like this show and where I can focus on my music, but you know, on the CDs and stuff that I have. But so, so then like, so she called me, I've come down to the station. I went down there and I really didn't have any idea really of that avenue of, mm-hmm. of the of radio is selling. And uh, I just knew I could basically sell anything because I have confidence in what I can do. It's not from an egotistical thing. It's just from I know, you know everyone knows what talents you got, and I know yeah. I can do that. And so, um, and so you I brought a rock and, and roll. Uh, you, remember, you brought a great rock and roll approach to it. Let me just add that. Thank you, thank you. We <laughs> you got to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm here. You. Know, you know, most people are used to dealing with salesmen with a short haircut and ties, everything else. I come down there, hair down the middle of my back, pulled back, and then ready to rock, you know. And I think, I know some people say, well, how do you sell like that? I'm like, well, I don't think it really matters. I think if you have a good product and you are sincere in your passion for it and you can sell it, then it don't really matter. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. so that's what I did. I came into the station and I think I also the thing that, that helped me was the naivete of not really knowing what radio is really about. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I think so many people, you know, I don't know, maybe you see KRP one time too many, you see Herb Tarlick and they think it's what, you know, radio really is. And in part it kind of is. But you know, just just to go about the daily of it. And, and you, unfortunately, you realize that, for me anyways, in my heart, radio, unfortunately, isn't about just the music. It, people got to realize it's called music business for a reason. Yeah. And and I naively think I you know came in, think, oh, this is all great. It's all about music. Everyone's just all passionate about music. And we, meaning me, me, you, Mario, Vicky, you know, I mean, all those people there, there were about it. But 
you do realize that you need to put the fuel in the tank in order to have this music passion. If you don't sell it, then there's no fuel in the tank, no fuel in the tank, then the station goes to the side. Well, I remember remember you and I hitting it off right off the bat, and you joined my song parody band, and we had some insane, because I would write these uh, song parodies and uh, play them on the radio, because that was, you know, in the 90s, that was what jocks were doing. You were doing funny songs, and and we did some insane shows together. Um, <laughs> just Dark and drive show, for example. Which one? When we played shut up, we opened for shut up and drive, or, <laughs> or whatever. I mean, again, that, that, let's let's start this disclaimer. Everything we were saying, we're not embellishing. We are being God's gospel truth because <laughs> up this this insanity. So so. We did. We opened up with uh, that. Sub and Drive was a country band, yeah, basically old school country band. And we came out with big fake boobs on and big shirts. <laughs> so we had that. We had that dominatrix come out and spank us. <laughs> and, and we opened up with Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm you know, you a ring of fire, ring of fire. And here we come in with Black Sabbath, you know? Oh, Lord. I remember I remember thinking that, that I just wanted to do stuff that had never been done before. And I don't think my creative chops were honed as well as I thought they were at the time. Because I never, you never do. You know, I was in my 20s. I was out of my mind. And uh, I just wanted to do stuff that people had never seen or heard before. And make a name for myself in radio. I, I probably subsequently got blackballed because of it, but we definitely we would get writ, we would get write ups in radio and records and an album network, all these trade papers about what we were doing at this little podunk station uh, south of Joliet, Illinois. It was crazy. It was crazy. But so we we had the Tamanosaurus band, and then you and I, because the record companies loved us so much. You and I would get invited to all these concerts, and there's a couple of great ones. I want to go through the 1998 Farm Aid, where you and I, first of all, we went there. It was October, and it was nice out when we left, and I picked you up at your home in New Lenox. We drove another you know, half hour or so to Tinley Park to get to the, at the time, it was the New World Music Theater. I don't know what its corporate name is now, but... We get there and we get our press passes and I had bought a new camera. I bought a Nikon 2020 and I didn't know I hadn't used it yet. So I just put some film in it. I knew there's a button you pressed and popped it open and put the film in and wound it. And then, uh, you know, I put this lens on that I had and, and I was so excited to have pictures of this of this event. And when we get there. I realized it was freezing out and I just had a t-shirt on like a, a cat 105.5 t-shirt and jeans. And I, the only thing I had, you had a jacket, you were smart. The only thing I had in my trunk were snow camo overalls. So they were gray and white and they were coveralls like a jumpsuit for goose hunting. <laughs> I, I figured, what's that? What's that? 
You were a sexy beast. Yeah, I just I look at those pictures from that, like me and Trey Anastasio from uh, Fish, Fish, and I'm standing next to him in this goofy ass outfit, but I was freezing. So, first of all, we get there. Now, did we get to Willie Nelson's bus first, or because it was a press junket? We did tent first. The tent, okay. No, when he had you know Melon Camp and Neil Young and. Darius Rucker, Pootie and a Blowfish, and all these big stars in the press tent, which was a very dark, big tent. Very dark tent. Yeah, you could barely see in there. And uh, so after the press conference, they talk about the American farmer. Willie gets shuffled off to his bus with Woody Harrelson and uh, Trey Anastasio in, in, uh, in tow. They go on this big bus and Neil Young is like fumbling with some papers. And I said, Dave, get the camera ready because Neil Young's my hero. I got to go talk to this guy. And I said, Neil, I want to tell you that uh, your music has been the soundtrack to my life. It has touched me in my soul and has been with me since I was a child. And it's an honor to shake your hand. He says, oh, thanks, man. And I said, uh, would you mind taking a picture with us? And it wasn't fair that I gave you this camera that neither one of us had used before. Right. <laughs> so so kind of like Neil and I are standing there with our arms around each other, smiling for what, maybe 30 seconds? Oh, baby, if, if. But it seemed like an eternity because we just couldn't get this camera to work. <laughs> So Dave is hitting the button on the camera, and he says, uh, I'm having trouble. I said, hold on, Neil, because now I'm starting to shake, like, oh, I'm going to lose this opportunity. So I go, and I look at the camera, and the back pops off, and here comes the film. So I'm shoving the film back in it, and I give it back to Dave. I said, it should work now. And I get back, and Neil's Neil's got those the furrowed brow, burning a hole in my skull with his eyeballs. And I said, okay, and... I put my arm around him. Now this time he doesn't reciprocate. He does not put his flanneled arm around me. And uh, Dave goes to take a picture and the lens comes off. And I can't, I mean, what did you witness, Neil Young? Did he explode like scanners? What happened there? He went, well, you got to take that fucking picture or what? <laughs> you know, just like that with his... An attitude, and, and he's like, "Oh, you just killed our whole image of you." Yeah, he said, and we kind of like, "You're gonna see this deflating." Like, he said, for he both said, of us, you know. He, watch. he said, "What the fuck? You think I don't have anything else to do but sit and wait for you guys to learn how to use fucking camera?" And he walks away, yep. and yep. Dave and I are stunned. But you know, like when you're at a restaurant. And you can feel someone staring at you, even though you're not looking at them. And you kind of turn because you feel it. It's a sixth sense. I think we all have. There's this guy and he's laughing his ass off. And it's Darius Rucker from Hootie and the Blowfish. And he comes up to me and goes, man, that was cold. He couldn't stop (laughs) laughing. I said, yeah. I said, I blew it with Neil Young. He said, I'll take a picture with you. And he goes, try to figure out how to use the camera. You took one of my favorite pictures of all time because no matter what I show people, (laughs) the tent was so dark, we had no flash on the camera, and describe the picture. Well, imagine Alice in Wonderland with the Cheshire Cat. You have on one side, teeth from Darius Rucker in the middle, and that's it. 
his teeth and Mike on the other side. Yeah. That's all you see. Yeah. Is these Our tiny teeth. teeth yeah. Between the two of us. <laughs> I still have that picture in a photo album. I say, you see those right. two sets of teeth? That's me and that's Darius Rucker. Oh, God. What a fun day. And then, so we get done with that. And Brian Wilson had just finished his performance uh, and they brought him. Now, you and I are heating up in a tent because we're freezing. So there's a smaller tent uh, for press and you get hot apple cider or coffee or whatever. And it was just you and I in there and Brian Wilson and his manager come in. And that was I almost like had to have you hold me for support because I was getting scared. Yeah. Do you remember uh, that? Was, oh yeah, it was, it was freaky. You see, here's this guy who's an icon, and then you see this manager set him down. Well, actually, stood him up the side in the middle of this open area. And goes, Brian, don't move. <laughs> Stay here. Don't move. And then, so then Brian twirls around, and the only thing I can liken it to is the monkey in Faces of Death. <laughs> On that table, that he's about to get a little mallet, but he's twirling around and twirling around, and he, he wouldn't move, but in that one little spot. You know no, and I mean? the manager's like, you guys keep an eye on him, I'll be right back. And I'm like, oh, what the, you can't do that to us. Pressure, yeah. So we'll take care of the icon. And I'm like, you know? I was looking at you. I'm like, Dave, is he okay? <laughs> he just spun around in a circle on his one foot. Oh, who knows? He's Brian Wilson. He's a genius. We can't, we can't, uh, we cannot uh, question his motives no. for spinning around in a circle. Now we did get uh, brought onto the bus for Willie Nelson, and uh, it was a long tour bus. And the amount of smoke, weed smoke that was in that bus, it was so dense that it had hit the ceiling. And tell me if I'm lying. And it came down to the middle of the bus. It was that heavy. And we waded through the haze. And uh, unlike Toby Keith, when uh, Willie Nelson said to me, hey, do you want to beep off this monkey and held out a joint? I passed. I said, no, I'm here to interview and uh, Woody Harrelson, do you remember Woody had like a little bit of drool coming out of the corner of his mouth? He was that high. Powerful smoke. Yeah, powerful smoke. And then uh, we start the interview and Trey Anastasia from Fish says, listen, man, if you want to interview me, we got to get off this bus. I can't take much more. And so uh, we went outside and, and had a nice interview with Trey about uh, the American farmer. What an what? insane night that was. I came off this bus makes Cheech and Chong look like a Billy Graham show. Oh, it was in, exactly. It was, they had three joints going between three of them and they were still passing them. It's like, why don't you just have your own? I don't get it. But I guess it's a communal experience. Having not been a, uh, an avid pot smoker in my life, I, uh, I don't really know the, the etiquette that goes along with it. And then, uh, I, you know who I thought, going back to that concert, I thought Martina McBride killed it that day. I, you know, she did that. Um, I can cl- I can see clearly now by that Johnny uh, Johnny, Johnny Nash, Craig. yeah. Johnny Nash, yeah. She did that, and that's the thing that just made me a believer in her. I mean, she just her voice is like crystal. It was yeah. just so pure and strong. It was just unbelievable how yeah. she did that. Incredible. She was great. She was great. Another night that stands out. Well, actually, it's a year. 
it's a year. It's two events that relate to each other. It's the great government mule because at the time, uh, WXRT wasn't playing them. No one was playing government mule. And I got this CD sent to me from Capricorn records. And I sat down with Marielle and I said, do you hear these guys? This is amazing. Hey, these are the two guys that were with the Allman brothers, uh, uh, Alan Woody on bass and, and Warren Haynes singing and playing guitar. And they've got Matt Apst on drums. This is a power trio, man. This is amazing. We sat and listened to that record. We added a couple of the songs to our playlist. Well, Capricorn Records was very, uh, very appreciative. And they sent us to see them at the Park West. They sent you and I some tickets. Mm-hmm. And the show was very long. They being a jam band, uh, there was a lot of noodling. And I had been up since, you know, four in the morning because I got up to do the radio show. And they went on about eight. They played to about 1030. And I think they played five songs. Maybe. That's not even an exaggeration. And uh, they were fantastic. But... I was so tired. Now, the meet and greet for the press was supposed to be at 1130. So they were going to, you know, take a shower or whatever they do. And and then you could go meet them. Well, I fell asleep in the booth because at the Park West in Chicago, they have curved booths in the back of the building. And I had fallen asleep in one. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I sent you on your merry way to hang. Now, <laughs> I wake up and there's always that initial when you wake up somewhere that you're you know i'm staring at the bottom of a table curled up in a booth and so i had to for a minute i had to say where am i oh yes it was the park west because i had probably lapsed into some sort of rapid eye movement and you know the guy vacuuming or the staff cleaning the tables kicked me and said you're gonna have to get out of here and i see a light coming from a dressing room above the uh, balcony it was above it was like up in the balcony right Exactly. And there's yeah, a light. Yeah, down was up in the other area up there. Yeah, and I looked up and I said, I could hear Dave Bella, and I, I went up there, made my way up there, and Warren Haynes is talking to you. He's like, "Oh man, all right, it was great seeing you." And he shakes your hand, and now it's like one thirty in the morning. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, all we talked about was guitars. Oh my god. Amps. Tubes. I mean, I always say you get a couple of guitar players together. They're worse than women talking about prom dresses or wedding dresses or, you know, we could just go on and on and on and on. And this guy, you could just, he's kind of like, okay, this dude I've talked about. <laughs> well, he's, he's so kind. He's such a gentleman and a sweetheart that nice he sits there for two hours and talks about guitars with you. Now, flash floor, flash forward a year later. Almost to the week because they're they're road warriors. They're on they're on tour. Now I want people to think about how many people, whether it be fans, uh, people that you're introduced to in every city. When a band goes on a world tour within a year, how many people do they run across? Thousands. How many radio, oh, yeah. television, uh, newspaper, and whatever, people coming to interview you, and you're being shuffled around left and right to meet this person and that person and this promotions person and this concert guy. and So think about that. And a year later, David and I attend a celebration, a government mule. They're playing at the Vic Theater, and we get tickets for that. But beforehand, there's a dinner at the legendary Buddy Guys Legends Blues Club. 
So we get there and we uh, played some pool. I think we played pool, didn't we? I think so, over there. And waiting for the band to show up. So waiting for the band to show up so we could all meet and greet and, and shake hands and have fun hanging with rock stars. And the band is, you know, the, the music's playing, the DJ's playing, and they're serving food, and we're having drinks, and it was just a wonderful night. And here comes Government Mule, and everybody starts clapping. And we were we were told to make a cue <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to say hello. And they're saying, you know, Alan Woody comes by, Alan. Can't wait to hear you play that Thunder bass tonight. High five. And Matt Apps, man, I love your drumming, man. You're amazing. Oh, thanks so much. He shakes our hand. And here comes Warren Haynes, the most visible, obviously the front man of the band, the singer, the people, right. uh, the songwriter that the people love and know and cherish. And he comes and he's shaking hands and shaking hands and giving hugs and, uh, you know, small talk here, small talk there. Thanks for playing the new album. He looks at me, he says, hey, man, good to see you. And he looks right in your eyes. He says, look, man, I'm just going to eat this lasagna. I don't want to talk about amplifiers or guitar string gauges or Gibson 350s or Les Paul. I goes, I just want to eat my dinner and go do my show. Is that okay? <laughs> you looked like a little kid. You're like, yes, Mr. Haynes. <laughs> I was crushed yet impressed that he remembered me. He remembered you. For a year, you know, like like this band does 250 shows a year. He must have met 3,000 people between the time that you kept him at the Park West for two hours talking about what string gauges he uses to a year later, him looking, him stopping in, in the middle of his meet and greet and saying, dude, Really, I just wanna, I just wanna eat this lasagna, and I don't want to talk about string gauges. That was the one that killed. <laughs> your your conversation was so in depth that you're asking, what gauge string did you use when you played Soul Shine? It's just, come on, man, that's golden, Dave Bella. So beyond the rock and roll, people have to know that you're one of the most fun guys to hang around with. And that was a crazy night because we had left there after we went to see Government Mule. We we I you know knew that uh, Enough's Enough was recording their album. Uh, what album was it? Um, Paraphernalia. They were recording it at Chicago Recorders, and Chip had told me earlier that Billy Corgan was going to lay down some tracks with him, and I, I wanted to meet Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins for crying out loud, you know? Yeah. So you and I were out and about, and I said, uh, hey, let's go stop at Chicago Recorders, or Recording, whatever it's called. And we buzzed ourselves in, and there was no, uh, there was no Billy Corgan. But we sat and we watched them uh, play a couple of tunes, and, you know, it was good. You, we tried to help Donnie rhyme. He was kind of trying to come up with some <laughs> rhymes, and uh, he, wanted to, he wanted to rhyme something with porridge, right? Yeah, he's like, okay, I'm trying to come up with the word. It rhymes with forage or porridge. I couldn't quite understand. No, I think he said storage, and you said, how about porridge? And he just crumpled up the paper. He's like, forget it. Yeah. (laughs) You got to work. So the next song, Dave, promise me on your next album that you will uh, rhyme storage with porridge or forage. Yes. Forage, porridge, storage. Can we get those three in there? Porridge. All right, write them down. And the forage. 
and, the forest. And then you the being forest. a suburban boy, you didn't know uh, some of the, you know, I, one thing people always say, if Mike Tomano's going out with you, you're going to eat at a great restaurant because I know all the Chicago hotspots. And I said, do you like Polish sausage? And you're like, yeah, I don't care. That's fine. I said, I'm going to take you for the best Polish sausage you've ever had. And it's on the legendary Maxwell Street in Chicago, which for a long time was this massive flea market and a place where people bartered on the street. Subsequently, now in, in latter years, it's become high rises and, you know, uh, townhomes and such. But back then it was it was a magical place. And I said, there's a there's this place, Latowski's, that cooks pork chop sandwiches and Polish sausages right on the grill, right in front of you. The onions are steaming hot and they just pile them on there. You're going to love this. But I did warn you and I warned everybody of this and everybody that I've taken there recalls that I said this, they didn't believe me. And then it rang true. Go ahead. What did I tell you? I did not believe you at all. Mike. really, Mr. Tomato said to me, says that, listen, this guy's going to come up to your car, our car is going to be selling us, uh, like 20 packs of socks, white gym socks and three packs of pornos. He just say, Porno, three, three pack porno socks, socks. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I thought, I thought Mike was going to give me a line. And 100% pure fact, pull up to this thing, didn't even get out of the car. Here come the, the salesman <laughs> with his three packs of porno and pairs of socks. You want, buy some, you want to buy some porno? No, no, we're good. You need some tube socks? No, no, we're good. No, And I told you, <laughs> Socks and Porno, which is a great name for a band. I hope someone uses it. I think so. You know, what did the two have in relation? I mean, did he go to some local warehouse? And they had... I, who knows? Who knows? But I do know some people who've said that they bought the porno tapes from him because they were so bizarro, the covers of them. And when yeah. they opened them up, there was just like uh, packing foam. So he's like cheating you on VHS pornos, which was bizarro. That is very weird. Yeah. Uh, I thought at least in me, you know, an outfit to wear in, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers with the other packs of socks. You could have, you, you could know? be in a Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, you could, if you bought his bag of socks, you could be in a Red Hot Chili Peppers tribute band and never have to use the same sock for a whole tour. That's how many oh, socks were in those, uh, those packages. <laughs> Too, oh, funny. Too funny. Too funny. I, I, I didn't believe you. I, I wholeheartedly did not believe you when he told me that. Yeah. I didn't think, I had no way in hell. I mean, because sausages. I, why would a guy be selling pornos and socks? Yeah, <laughs> pornos and socks. Dave Bella, the album is Think Outside the Burning Box. Where can people hear it? You can hear it. Go to my website, DaveBellaMusic.com. You can go on YouTube. You can go on Amazon. You can go on uh, Apple Music. You can go on uh, Bandcamp. I also have the CDs for sale at uh, Ross's Chicago Music there in Kankakee. It is a brand new location. Uh, I have it for sale at Disc Replay in Crest Hill with Scott, who has another great store up there if you love a good store to go to. Yes. You have, I have it for sale at um, the Audio Fills, downtown Joliet. Excellent. So, yeah, so you know, I got it around you know a number of different places that they carry it, which is which is great. In fact, the, the cool thing is when you see your little card, you know, you always see you know, you know Blackberry Smoke or Sabbath, or whatever. And you can see one's got their card. I got the Dave Bella CD card. Dave Bella top. card, nice. You, you know, know you I know you made like, it. 
Hey, you know who gave you a good uh, good write up? I watched this guy on YouTube, the Sea of Tranquility, Pete Pardo. Uh, yeah, he's kind of like a big joculatory uh, music nerd, and he makes me laugh. But uh, he gave you a good review, and he, he's a music head, so that's that's cool. Yeah, I got that. In fact, on my on my website, I got a link to that. And another guy who gave me a really really good review. I know we saw uh, Tom Lounges. He writes for the. Uh, Oh, the King, the Indiana paper, just over the border. I forgot what the name of the paper is, but he put my CD as one of the top ten best local CDs of that year. It's a great one. It's well produced, well written, and beautifully sang and played. And your guitar work is stunning. So, uh, and so is your voice. So, uh, I'll be using you soon for my album, and uh, it'll be fun. You, you know, one thing I got to leave us with is and I know we spoke about this in the past, which I still think is the funniest thing while we were at the cat, is when we would have you would instructed the prisoners how to make requests because Joliet or the region is founded by numerous prisons, ladies' prisons, uh you got Stateville nearby. Yes, yes. yes. All these, you know Dwight Correctional, with- there was all kind there were prisons all over us, yeah. Over. And then you taught them how to make a request. Yes. <laughs> I started that. I was always an innovator, David, because someone well, told you- me they went to visit their friend in prison and they said, and as I walked down the hall in the morning, I could hear your show in numerous cells. And then at night I had a prison guard tell me, cause we used to do this thing, the graveyard shift that we created right. that was just balls to the wall metal for the whole overnight. And yeah. he said that thing cranks out all night and they're working out and they're doing their thing. And, um, he said, that, you know, that they, that's the radio station. They love it. So I thought when they called the radio station, and I said this on the air, I said, here's what you do. You call us. And then when it says, would you, col- would you accept a collect call from? And I said, when you have to say your name, you know, when they say, will you accept a collect call from? Just say your name and what you want to hear. And then I won't accept the collect call. So it won't go on the station's, you know, bill. But I'll know what song. So we would get these calls. They would be like, you know, hello, the cat. You're on with Tomato in the morning. And they'd be like, yo, this is Chewy. Play Black Sabbath War Pigs, bro. Will you accept a collect call? <laughs> no, I won't. And then I would hang up. And, that, and then there was no, no harm, no foul. However, the correction center uh, did get uh, in, in touch with me. A couple of prisons got in touch with me and said, we have a line at the phones. And they're just doing this over and over. And we have to stop now. And so, okay, well, tell them to stop. I'm not in prison. What am I going to do? I don't make the rules. I just break them. That, that was hilarious. There's a black Sabbath, dude. <laughs> dude, Slayer, Angel of Death. Okay, all right. Uh, and what's I going to do? Say no? Because then they, they know when they got out of prison, they'd become looking for me, man. I had to do what I had to do for the... For the people who were down in the prison, you know. Yeah, we had some great times. And uh, I got to tell you, I am blessed with your friendship, and uh, I appreciate you being on the program today. Oh, man, I, I, it was fun talking about all these memories. I mean, we could go all day if we really wanted oh, to. Oh, God. We're, we're just touching the surface. It, it, you know, like I just said, that, that people wouldn't believe the things we experienced no. in that 600-square-foot cinder block 
shit infested, bug infested. And it was feeling. And we used to have to tell people like cli- they would bring clients to this little radio station. We would tell them, listen, you can't bring you can't use the toilet. And if you do use the toilet, you could pee, but you can't poop because the, when you would flush, the, the shit would come up through the uh, other vents in the other room. Yeah, in the middle of the floor. So that was a good look. Well, listen, it's 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 awesome talking to you. And once again, think outside the burning box. Dave Bella, B-E-L-L-A-H. Download it, stream it, whatever you got to do, but buy it and uh, and rock out to it. David, I will see you soon. Absolutely. Love you, my brother. Love you. We didn't tell a story about uh, <laughs> about Paul Rogers. That we'll save that for the next time. Oh yeah, I mean that, that's another one of my favorites. You know, I mean just <laughs> chasing him down with a wet poster. <laughs> well, I am David Lee Fudd. You, know you I mean? are. You're David Lee Fudd, brother. Rock on.